Once you are self-aware, you must make a change. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and today I have a special guest, Lisa Lutoff Perlow, Vice Chairman of, for External Affairs of the Royal Caribbean Group, is a high-impact leader in travel and hospitality industry whose vision and strategy previously propelled celebrity cruises to achieve transformational financial results. As a brand with the Royal Caribbean Cruises, LTDR, CL portfolio, her commitment to creating extraordinary ships and experiences, opening up the world through travel has brought recognition and countless awards to her and celebrity cruises. Lisa and celebrity have achieved global impact, earning her reputation as a trailblazer, bringing transformation, diversity, and inclusion into travel and hospitality industry. Her forthcoming book, I have a digital copy, so I made sure I have this in front of me. Making Waves, A Woman's Rise to the Top Using Smart Heart and Courage comes out February 20th, which today is so awesome to be with you to celebrate the success of this brand new book. Thank you so much, Deborah. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today. Oh, thank you. And I have to tell you, you know, like I said, I've only dived in halfway and I just want to keep reading and devouring. I got my highlighter. <laughs> Usually I've got tabs going on and there's such a kindred spirit, not only for myself, but I know many of the women who will be listening to this podcast, reading the book about some of the lessons that you have learned along your journey. And they have been incredible, insightful, and I, I really appreciate the stories that you share throughout that really help people gravitate to how those lessons are so, so important. So I'm going to start off by just asking you, how can people at the bottom of the career ladder, because I know when people are listening to this and they're thinking, she's a trailblazer. So where, where am I at? How, how can I move from the bottom of this career ladder to get to the top like you did and rise from sales to CEO? <laughs> oh, I like that. Sales to CEO. I haven't used that before, but I, I, I like that. It's got a great ring to it. And, you know, I think part of the reason that I wanted to write the book was to share my story and my lessons so that I could let other people know if I can do it, you can do it as well. You know, I started at the bottom of the ladder, if you will, um, selling door to door. And I didn't even have it in my thinking or in my line of sight that I would ever ascend to being president and CEO. But the way I navigated my career and took advantage of different opportunities that came to me got me there. And those are the types of stories and lessons that I want to share with people because, you know, it's possible if it, like I said, if it, if I could do it, anyone can do it. Well, one of the most profound things that stood out for me is you and another individual were at a speaking engagement 
And this, this is the part that often baffles me. There are people who knew exactly what they want to be when they grow up. They yep. go and they follow the path, they get there. And yep. you and this other speaker were, you know, two different dimensions showing that the path doesn't need to be linear. So I'd love for you to share your thoughts in the, that moment of, you know, you're hearing this other speaker, she knew exactly what she needed to do and, and you didn't have the plan. So I, I'd no. love for you to share that story. Yeah, it's one of the chapters in the book, not everyone has a plan and I didn't. And it was so interesting for me to listen to her. She spoke just before me. She was so focused. She knew exactly what she wanted. She did everything she could to get there, to set herself up, to make sure that she got there. And then she navigated her career with that one line of sight and that one linear path. And she accomplished her goal. And it was ter terrific. And I respected her a great deal for that. But as she was speaking, I realized that I was totally the opposite. I didn't have a plan. And sometimes I believe that if you have a plan and you only have one line of sight, you could be limiting yourself for other opportunities and potential that you never dreamed possible. I, you know, when I first came into the company, which was totally by accident, I was in sales for 17 years. And during that 17 years, I had my plan. I was going to be the head of sales. And I, and I was working really hard toward that end. All I wanted to be was the vice president of sales. And I was waiting for my boss to retire so I could have his job. Well, someone else had a different plan for me. And they plucked me out of sales and put me in marketing. And I my one plan that I had was completely derailed. And I thought my career was over. But in fact, my career was just beginning. And even though I kicked and screamed a little bit at the beginning, I ended up embracing the change, embracing learning something new. And then I continued to do that throughout my career. And 30 years later, I became president and CEO of Celebrity. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, when you talked about that story, I find it, you know, very interesting that when you said you need to move around to move up. And I think, think people take it for granted because sometimes when they think they move around, they might drop in wage or salary, right. Right. or it might be not something that they're completely interested in. And I think, you know, one of your first shifts was to marketing and you were like kicking and screaming, like you said, that resistance. Right. Right. Um, when someone's navigating that career ladder and thinking about moving laterally, what should be their focus? you know, is it the skill set? Is it, should they be concerned about the salary, like the length of time that they should stay in that area? You know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. And you know, um, Deborah, I think it's different for different people, but I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me to ask me career advice, to be a mentor, to share with them my story. And I often tell them, you, you need to move sideways. You need to learn different things because the more you learn, the more valuable you are and the more currency you ultimately have in terms of, you know, salary strength and your ability to get promoted and people think lateral or sideway moves are negative. And I, you know, I beg to differ. I took, um, I took a sideways move into marketing, but I learned things that were invaluable to me. And I will tell you for having done all the different things that I did in our company for so many years before I ultimately became president and CEO, those things served me so well. I was so much better prepared to be in a position to succeed in that role. 
And I just think people underestimate the value of learning and gathering additional skills and experiences that at the end of the day can only make you more valuable, both to yourself and to your company or whatever company you choose to go to. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you also shattered the glass ceiling in the cruise industry, which is traditionally male dominated. And, yeah. and I find this, the while reading your book, my background is nursing. So that area had always been, it's female dominated. So it's really interesting to see the differences in how things show up. Um, can you tell us what your biggest accomplishments are as a woman? Oh, let's see. Well, listen, I, I don't often think of my gender as I think about my career accomplishments. I think about the things that I've done that have been really successful and gotten amazing results and innovation and, and building great teams and achieving things that no one thought we could achieve at celebrity. I never really associated those things with my gender, but the, but what I would say is when people ask me and they ask me all the time, how does it feel to be a woman and make it, you know, to the first president and CEO of one of your brands in the company, the first woman in the C-suite, I was actually the first woman to hold three different positions in the company. And my answer is very simple. My biggest joy and my biggest accomplishment by doing that is to bring other women along with me and to significantly improve the gender balance in our um, organization and in our industry where none existed before. In operations, it is heavily, heavily, heavily male dominated. And I was able to increase the number of women on the bridge from 3% when I started as president and CEO to 33% when I stepped down as president and CEO. And, um, and that was a commitment, a purposeful focus, a disciplined approach to gender equality and balance. And I did it with the help of amazing men that worked alongside me, that went out and recruited these women and believed in gender equality as much as I did. And I, and I love how you talk about the gender balance. I, I find that that term is just a lot more, it doesn't feel as harsh, I guess. Right. But right. It's just showing that we're having more of a visibility out there. And yeah. one of the things that you mentioned in the book is that you never had a woman leader prior to you to learn from. So this is never. huge as a trailblazer and that you had right. men recognize your skill set, your talents, your abilities yeah. to get yeah. you to where you are. Yeah, I, I did. And um, again, it's probably the industry that I was in. And the, the men in the positions, you know, they were all men in those positions, but none of them ever held me back. I never felt like being a woman was a detriment in the um, ascension or development of my career. I, I found that sometimes going into certain roles as the first woman was met with skepticism because I was leading all men. And they didn't know why I was there or why I was chosen for the role. I did. I wasn't a subject matter expert. I had never been a captain before. I had never operated one of the ships or worked on board before. So some of these men were very skeptical. But I, you know, there's another chapter in my book called Watch Me Prove You Wrong. And so every time I encountered a skeptic along my way in my career, I figured out um, how to prove those people wrong. And, um, and, I, and I ultimately did. 
So this, I'm glad you mentioned that because it led me to think as I was preparing for today's interview, the one thing that came up to me is I've heard people say, you know, you've specifically focused on proving a skeptic wrong. I'd love for you to share with me your thoughts on when people say you're out to prove something versus proving somebody wrong. Mm -hmm. There is a, there is a, a, yeah, it's a fine line, I guess is what I'd say. No, I would say you're right. It is a fine line. Um, You know, okay. So first of all, let me talk about proving something. So when I was first appointed to, uh, there's another chapter in my book called be careful what you wish for. And I remember when I was appointed to president and CEO, I walked into my office the first day after my appointment. And I remember sitting in the chair thinking, holy crap, okay, you got the job, you got the gig. Now, what makes you think you're going to be successful when so many others before you who have had this position you know, they met, they had some success, but they never had the success that the brand needed to truly transform into a brand to be reckoned with and, and uh, very strong financial performance in the company. And so I was out to prove something. I was out to prove that I could do that. And I wasn't proving anyone wrong because obviously they had um, the confidence in me to appoint me to the role, but I was going to prove that I was the right choice and I was going to prove that celebrity could actually make it as a strong, profitable brand. And so I set out to do that. In terms of the watch me prove you wrong, that was really when I encountered skeptics along the way. And what I did was I put myself in their shoes and I thought, all right, what is it that that is... um, you know, is bothering them that they think that I'm not um, either qualified or, you know, I don't deserve to be their leader because I've never done what they've done. And, you know, I, I really never tried to compete with them in terms of their expertise and their skill set and their knowledge and all of the success that they had. I always um, clearly respected that and acknowledged that. But what I did was I focused on the things that were the reasons why I was chosen and the reason that I did deserve to be there and could help them. And that um, over time with every interaction that we had, what I learned was that people want great leaders. They don't need to know that I can drive the ship. That's what their job is. My job isn't to drive the ship. My job is to support guide, create vision, strategy, help them be successful and help us all be the best we can possibly be and make a lot of money along the way. And as I did that, and I continued to show how I could do that, you know, I remember, I remember when I was leaving my position at Royal Caribbean running um, the Marine organization, it was the first time I had run the Marine organization. And those captains were very skeptical of me and, and why I was in that role and the fact that I was their boss. And yet they all cried when I left, you know, they all teared up and couldn't believe I was leaving and didn't want me to go. So, um, you know, I think that what we, we all encounter different situations in our career, but we can't, You know, if you come at them with positivity, which I came at everything with positivity and, you know, sort of put myself in their shoes 
And also, I think, and, and I hope, Deborah, as you've read the book, the book is a very authentic and vulnerable book. It really shares what my journey was truly like. It doesn't paint a pretty picture. You know, I didn't start almost uh, near the top and rose to the top. Um, it was messy and it was hard, but I did it. And these are the things I did to help me. And that's what I really wanted to get across to all the readers. Yeah. And I definitely have that sense throughout your book, the vulnerability, the heart, the courage to just step fully into your potential and how optimism is truly one of your most powerful strengths. Um, when we talk about that, proving that right, the key thing that I take away from what you're saying is you don't come at a place uh, when you're trying to prove them wrong. You don't come at a place of competition. No. you're really coming from a place of empathy and wanting to understand. And one of the key things that I took away from your book, especially when you were talking about your sister, I, I actually teared up. I'll share that with you. And my deepest condolences in uh, the loss of your sister. Thank you. Because I have a sister and I, I oh. just had that, <laughs> but you pulled my heart. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, it is really about being 100% in the moment of where you're at, because you were sharing that you had this huge launch, a new ship, and you wanted to really make it go publicly. And then you also have this competing uh, priority of your sister who was unwell and wanting to be with her and being torn, but you knew that wherever you are at any moment, you need to give your 100% and dedication to where you're at. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about what that experience was for you. Um, Cause I can't imagine it was an easy one. Oh my gosh. It was the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life, losing my sister. Mm. And I'll never get over it ever, ever. It doesn't even lessen over time. And, um, and it was during COVID we were shut down. And, you know, be before we started our conversation, you and I were talking about always looking for the silver lining in the COVID-19 cloud and being in an industry that was shut down for 15 months. Believe me, every single day that I woke up, I had to look for a silver lining so that I could get my team through the shutdown to give them hope, to give them confidence, even when I wasn't sure we were ever going to start up again. Um, you know, but that was my that was what they needed from me. And I had to figure out how to. Um, you know, get that, you, you help myself outside of them because I never wanted them to have to experience my self-doubt. I wanted to be that, you know, that strong leader for them and, 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 and tell them that everything was going to be okay because, you know, they needed to hear that. And at the same time, you know, my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer and that was her last year of her life. And, the silver lining in that cloud for me was that because of COVID, I was home every single day for 15 months. And I was just able to spend every single day of the last year of my sister's life with her. She lived with me. She lived with me for many, many years. Um, my family is very close. My mom lived with me. My dad lived with me and my sister lived with me. And so, um, and so I, while I had to do what I had to do to launch our new ship, you know, we had a virtual delivery the first time or the, the a virtual um, announcement of the ship. It was the first time anybody had done that in the industry because of the shutdown. And I knew how important it was for the ship, for the team. They had worked so hard and prepared so hard. 
And it was two days before my sister lost her battle. And I will tell you that was a, you know, to your point, I had to muster up every ounce of optimism and positivity and energy and and exuberance about this new ship, which I really was exuberant about, but at the same time, you know, dealing and knowing my sister was, you know, just a few rooms away. And as soon as I ended that uh, digital reveal, I went and right back by her side, I signed off. And a couple of days later, when, um, you know, when word spread that she had passed, there were so many people who sent me notes and said, they couldn't believe I got through that and they had no idea what was going on. And, um, and they gained more uh, admiration and respect for me. But, um, and that was a lovely thing to hear because then I knew that I had done what I needed to do. And um, yeah, so I think that part of that story was also balanced, right? You never have that. You just know what you have to do at one moment. And then it doesn't mean that you are not committed to the other things in your life. It just means you have to compartmentalize them. And we all have to do what we have to do at any moment in time. And as long as it all equals out in the end, I think we that's the best we can all hope for and strive for, for sure. Because you do, you know, show remarkable courage and um, saying strong and motivated, I think, is what every woman needs to hear because often you know they have whether it be family members or children or wanting to grow in their career sometimes it just feels so overwhelming and what are the other things that you could do to continue to stay strong and motivated um you know I focused on the positive a lot of the you know there's a um, I, I can't remember if it's a chapter or a sub sub chapter within a chapter or a subsection within a chapter, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, um, you know, my boss at the time used to say that all the time. And I decided uh, again during COVID to find a silver lining and focus on our comeback. I wanted our, our you know, we, we developed a mantra, the comeback is going to be stronger than the setback. And I focused the team on thinking about our brand and how we could improve it during this timeout that we had. Because let's face it, when do we all get a timeout of 15 months, right? We're always driving and striving and building business and looking at your, you know, looking at your reports every day to make sure you're booking enough business. And so I I thought that I would energize the team in this timeout to start thinking about the brand, how we would position it, what our pricing would be how we might even elevate it further. We came up with a great strategy and uh, a new campaign and a new brand positioning, and it really rallied the team. And it was quite different because the rest of the industry was just kind of sitting there waiting for this nightmare to end and wallowing in the misery that we were living through every day, wondering if when we were ever going to get back into business. And I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. It was too negative and it was just sucking all the energy out of the team. And um, uh, somebody described me once as a relentless optimist. And I think that's a very appropriate definition of me. And so I, again, I always try to focus on the positive and keep people focused on the positive because it's um it's the only way to see a a positive way forward and um and you know and and think about things in a in a good way versus the the situation we were in yeah 
Because otherwise you're thinking, what's the alternative? And when you're right. sucked right. into the negative spiral, you, right. you can't see solutions. So right. um, one of the things that when, when you were talking about, you don't want a leader who has the moving target, right? right. Yes. Move, keep moving that baseline of where you need to be at. They need to know that there's someone who is reliable, that the vision's not constantly changing. What's asked of them is not constantly changing but to also allow them to grow at the same time. And I think about teams that I've been a part of, and I want the people listening and watching us to think about that as well, because think about the times where you've had indecision and how do you go back to your team or knowing to give them that secure place to say, well, they must be doing something right. <laughs> you know, yeah. even when they yeah. might have a little bit of their own self-doubt creeping in especially yeah. with the pandemic. Yeah, you know, the cruise industry, I think was one of the first other than China, it was yeah. one of the first places in North America that I was able to say, Oh, my, I Oh, my goodness, this is can you recognize how many people it impacts at one time. And, you know, just reading what it took for you to not only get passengers home, but employees home to, you know, let waiting for their governments to even let them come yeah. to their own land, yeah. like, that's yeah. a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That was 24 seven. Oh my goodness. That was crazy. That was yeah. a crazy, I don't even know how we got through it. You know, it's like when you're getting through it, you get through it. And when you look back, you're like, how did we do that? And then starting up again, starting 15 ships in 12 months, that was, I, I, I know, you know, you usually start up one ship, maybe every 12 or 18 months. We started up 15 ships in 12 months. Crazy. Wow. You know, you just wow. think about that time and you just like, but you did it. You all, yeah. we all rallied, you know, but that takes a big commitment and a strong team and everybody, you know, rowing in the same direction and uh, making it all happen. Well, I have to tell you, I was on a cruise from left Venice to go to Croatia and Greece and back to Venice again. And it really got me th before even knowing about this book, because it happened, you know, last May, uh -huh. there was floods in Ravenna where we were supposed to be stopping. And so the pickup place shifted when we got off the got in the location. And I was just like, they seamlessly made everything yeah. from one location yeah. to the next. And I wouldn't even known. And right. the experience <laughs> on the cruise is like, wow, they didn't skip a beat, you know, <laughs> and, you know, knowing know. that in the past 15 months, how much work and everything that went into it. So I, I want to just say thank you for uh, vision and to your teams that yeah. it was uh, incredible to have that experience. And now, you know, being able to interview you, reading your book, it just even resonates even more. So I, I just <laughs> find it so special. Uh, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you recognize that it's really, you know, it's, it's like a duck, right? You know, there's there or a swan, they're floating along, but you don't see what's going on underneath the water. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why should you never let the word no dictate your destiny? I know in sales, we, we get rejection and, you know, you yeah. hear about the no, but yeah. so that people don't get steered away from, you know, moving toward what they believe is their destiny. Well, you know, I, it's like, I, I believe in that not only about your career, but just everything. I always find that the easiest answer someone can give you is no. 
you know, and, and even when you're trying to get something done at work or you're trying to make something happen or you're trying to solve a problem, the first thing someone's going to tell you is no. It's just the way of the world. And it's so frustrating. And again, being the relentless optimist, I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, you no, know, no is not possible. You cannot tell me no. We're going to find a solution. So when someone tells me no, it just incentivizes me and motivates me to find a solution. And I, and I did the same thing in my career. I met with a tremendous amount of rejection and no throughout my, you know, 30 years of, of going from the bottom to the top. You know, I, I don't know if you read this and I think it's in the book, but I wasn't even chosen for my first sales job. I was the second choice. I wasn't the first choice. So I was, I, you know, ever since I joined the company, I like, no is, is the word that I kept hearing. And, um, but I didn't give up. You know, I found out that the guy that they hired instead of me didn't even make it through his probationary period. And I found out by accident. They didn't even call me back and offer me the job after I was second choice, which frustrated me. And you, some people would say, you know, then I'm not going to go work for that company. But I didn't say that. I said, no, I really believe I want that job. And I went back and I had to interview all over again. And I finally got a yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I was moved out of sales when my one, you know, my dream was to be the head of sales and I was plucked out of sales and moved into marketing. And, you know, I thought my career was over, but I wasn't going to accept that. And I just kept going. I'm, I'm persistent. I never give up. Um, I have a tremendous amount of drive and I asked for the president and CEO role three times before I got it. And I was told I wasn't ready or it was given to someone else. And, you know, I, I expressed how I felt about it, which was frustrated. I didn't agree with the decision, but I did it in a professional way. I did it as my boss described in an elegant way. Um, but I made it clear that I was going to turn that no into a yes eventually. And I, you know, I asked why they thought I wasn't ready. What else did I need to do? And you know that sometimes the answer is ambiguous. Oh, I don't know. I just don't think you're ready. And that's very frustrating. But you know what? You just can't let it derail you. Stay focused. Um, don't give up. And, um, you know, and keep keep trying. And if, if you don't get the yes where you are, go get a yes somewhere else. You don't always have to stay in a place that keeps telling you no either. Take all that experience and all that you've done and all that you've earned um, and, and go somewhere else if that's, you know, if that's in the cards for you, but don't let no get you down. Don't let no derail you find your yes, wherever that might be. Very powerful finding your yes. With that being said, you know, when, when you had these opportunities and I just want to bring up the topic of leadership visibility because it's a topic that's been brought to my attention, but the way you describe it in your book really made more sense to me. And finding out who you need to align with to ensure that they know that you have the skills and ability and the knowledge to do the job or to know, like managing the pandemic, for example, like to the person, you know, they might not directly see your work and how do you let those people know? So I, I'm really curious about your approach into how do you get your leadership visible? Well, you know, interestingly enough, that 
<laughs> all this work from home stuff is going to make that pretty difficult. But what I believe, and um, and yeah, you know, and I had to learn this. It was a lesson I learned. It's a lesson in my book. I thought that if I did a great job and got great results, I was going to get recognized and I was going to get rewarded and I was going to get promoted. But I soon realized, and I should have known this earlier in my career, being a sales and marketing person for 21 years of my third, you know, in this company, but even before that, before the company, you need to market yourself, not in an obnoxious way, but you need to run your own PR campaign. You need to make sure that you're in front of people that have the ability to make decisions that are going to benefit you in your career. You have to align yourself with people of influence in your company who are going to help you move along and who are, are going to see what you're capable of. You can't just do it quietly and do it well and get great results and think people are going to come find you or they're going to notice if you don't show them. And so just like you market a brand, just like you market a product or sell a product, look at yourself as a brand or a product and market yourself to the right people in the right way so that you are recognized, your accomplishments are recognized. And when those promotions come up, somebody taps you on the shoulder and and gives them to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Cause it's often made me wonder, you know, when they say, you know, not all jobs are posted, right? When they, no, they that's know right. you're capable of sometimes that's right. how a position gets created. Right. 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 So how has your philosophy of putting others first helped your career? Oh, well, I've always been like that. You know, I'm, I'm just a selfless person. I, um, I, you know, I'm not selfish in any way. And in some ways I probably should be a little more selfish, but that's just not who I am. And so I always put others first. I've always put my family first. I've always put my sisters first. I've always put other people first. And I always put the people I work with first, because at the end of the day, um, the people that you work with are the ones that are going to help you achieve success. I've accomplished a lot and, you know, I'm grateful for that just because I'm a grateful person, but I also worked really, really hard for it. Everything I've gotten, I deserve, but there is nothing I would have achieved if it wasn't for amazing people that I got to work with every day who did what it took. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big football fan and Tom Brady, you know, the goat, the quarterback, the greatest of all time. He's like, you know, I grew up in New England. He's my guy. I can't even tell you the, the joy that watching him play football brought to me and my sisters and my family. And, you know, he, he says, I only threw the ball. I didn't catch it. You know, so all of the records that he achieved, all of the success he achieved, all of the Super Bowls he went to, all of the rings that he got, you know, yeah, he threw the ball and he was amazing at what he did but he didn't catch the ball. He didn't run into the end zone and score the touchdowns. It was other people who did that, who helped him achieve all that great success. And I feel the same way. And I believe by putting those people first, you get a tremendous amount of discretionary effort that's priceless because you they know you care about them and they in turn care about you and they're invested in your success, just like you're invested in theirs. I talk a lot in my book. It's later in the book. It's chapter eight, my superpower. And I believe that my superpower is something I call the boomerang 
approach to leadership. Mm -hmm. You get back exactly what you put out there in the universe, both as a human being and also as a leader. You know, one of the things that you just said was that selflessness, but at the same time, you also know you're deserving. And I think that's a powerful place to have women see themselves is you can be selfless and it's okay to know that you're deserving and worthy of the accomplishment and recognition because you're going as a team. Right. And, you know, it's, um, and I believe that, you know, another one of the things I um, call out as a superpower is the X factor, you know, our X chromosome gives us power and skills that don't come as naturally to men. Mm -hmm. And I believe by dialing those up, you're a better leader and you're able to put people first. And again, I learned that in my career. I think earlier in my career, I tried to suppress some of those things that maybe are innately, um, you know, associated with our gender because I was, you know, trying to make it like a guy. And, um, and that's a big mistake. You know, it's like, we're women, we have, we have, we have superpower and, um, and we should celebrate that. And we should uh, use all of the things that are so natural and organic in who we are. And, and we should, again, we should celebrate those and use those because I think they make us better leaders and get better results. And it's powerful that you say that because a recent interview I had with a gentleman and he said, you know, when he goes into a cultural type of meeting, it's important to dial down the dominance, not just because it's a male gender, but so that everyone in the room feels like they're on an equal playing field and working together and not one is hierarchical than another. So very powerful place to be. Yeah. Um, you say that failure should be looked at success and progress. I've never had heard anybody say that before. And I think that is, it just totally makes sense. And it also reframes it so well, that success and progress, what was one of your biggest failures and how were you able to overcome it? Well, yeah, I go into a lot of detail. It's, I think it's chapter four and it's, you know, my epic fail. And listen, I've had a few failures along the way, haven't we all? And some were bigger than others. And, you know, and and I hate to fail. I'm just that person that like, you know, oh my gosh, I want everything to be perfect all the time. I always want to be in control. You know, somebody asked me once during COVID, Lisa, how does someone like you who always, you know, wants to be in control. How are you dealing with COVID? Because you have no control over what's going on. And that was a really good question. And I, again, you learn over time, you have to control the things you can control and let go of the things you can't control. But this epic fail that I had, you know, I think it was within my control, but I was, I was very new in my role and I had never taken on a project uh, to this magnitude that this project was. It was starting up a new brand. And I had just inherited, uh, I had just been promoted into running uh, operations. And I had inherited a team that, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't supportive of me. And, and there was a lot of change going on in the, in our, you know, in our brand at the time as we were starting up this, yet this new brand. 
And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know the right questions to ask. And I counted on people to do what they were supposed to be doing and told me they were doing. And none of that happened. And it ended up that when we were supposed to be starting up the brand and welcoming our guests, nothing was ready. And it's a long, complicated story with so many, like, as I say in the book, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it was terrible. And I learned so much from that. I learned how you need a strong team around you. I learned that you have to have people that are working with you that are all committed to a successful outcome, not just telling you one thing and doing another. I learned that the worst in people comes out in the worst of times, but I also learned that the best in people comes out in the worst in time of times. And I remember this group of people, uh, one of the things that I didn't do as the leader when all of this was falling apart and all of our guests were coming on board, every other shoreside leader that was managing this project along with me left the ship and they all you know they they worked hard up until you know the time the guests came but the ship still wasn't ready and I was the only one who stayed and I did that because I didn't want to leave my team holding the bag I didn't want to leave the crew members holding the bag I wanted to be there and help them you know, find their way out of the mess we were in and I stayed on that ship for seven weeks and I think I gained more respect as a leader in that situation than I ever could have in any other situation. And I also learned that there were some really great people that I was working with that I didn't know at the time, but learned through this process who really stepped up in a big way. And we all supported each other until, you know, until we fixed it. And, um, you know, you realize when it all happens, there's nothing you can do about that. It happened. There were a million reasons why, and you're never going to let those things happen again. But right then and there, you just had to figure out how to fix it. And um, yeah, and I just had a great group of people with me on that ship that helped me fix it. And and they were determined to do that because, again, I showed my vulnerability. I told them it was a mess. I told them a lot of it was my responsibility because I didn't do what I needed to do. And I told them I needed their help. And they all rallied around me. And that was just a, an amazing outcome. The silver lining in that epic fail. Yeah. And it's very powerful to see the loyalty of the people around you, recognizing that we are all human and mistakes do occur, but also recognizing that you have the opportunity to course correct per se, and that you don't have to do it alone. Right. No, right. And, and yeah. And admit it, you know, just admit it. You know, what are you going to say? Oh, I didn't, it wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. No, you know, no. Own it, fix it. And, um, and ask people for help. I've done that my entire career. I've asked people for help. And you know, what's really cool about that is they're really flattered when you do that. You know, when I was going into these roles uh, outside of my epic fail, when I was going into these roles and I really wasn't a subject matter expert and I needed to make decisions, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have all the information I needed. I phoned a friend. Remember that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I talk about it in my book. I phoned a friend. And what was what's really nice is when you do that, they want to help you because they're flattered and they're honored you asked. And then they feel invested in your success. 
And anybody that thinks they know it all is really not very smart. I think, I think you're really smart if you admit that you don't know everything. And if you ask for help, I never needed or wanted to be the smartest person in the room, but I wanted to be in a room with the smartest people in the room. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, and like I said, I've been devouring the book. I got highlights on many pages, <laughs> many pages, and uh, I'm going to be finishing it this weekend. Um, awesome. Amazing. So what's a diamond in the rough and why is it important to look for top talent in the least expected places? Because I know, you know, traditionally people try to follow a certain way of doing things and being a trailblazer and hearing that you find them in the least expected places. I would love to learn more. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's especially, it was um, especially an opportunity for me on the ships because I would go on the ships and I would experience the ships just like other guests. And I always made it a point to number one, be very visible. You know, you talked about leadership visibility a little earlier in our conversation, Deborah, and it was around just sort of being visible myself. So I would get noticed and promoted and achieve what I wanted to in my career. But I also practiced a lot of leadership visibility with our crew and with my team. I always wanted to be a leader that was accessible, that sat in meetings, that gave people in the lower ranks the opportunity to present, to talk, to give their feedback, their input, their opinions, so that everybody on the brand felt like they had a voice. It didn't mean that you were going to take all of their advice or all of their ideas, but at least they had an opportunity to participate. And when I was on the ships, I always made it a point to walk the ships, to talk to the crew, to thank the crew. And I always looked and watched, you know, I always looked for people that were special. And it's so easy to identify people that are special if you just take the time to look and notice and be present. And I used to point those people out to the leaders on board and say, you know, I think that person is special. Why don't you, you know, why don't you just look at them and, and see? And then they did. And then those people, you know, ascended. Sometimes if you're part of a 1300 person crew, it's hard to get recognized. And so I always used to look for those special people. And um, I found many of them. And I actually brought a lot of those people shoreside into leadership roles in the corporate offices that I worked with on the ships because they were so great at what they did. And, mm -hmm. and they wanted to, um, you know, they wanted to advance in their own careers. And on the ships, there's only a certain level you can get to. So I always made it a point to go find those people. And when opportunities came up shoreside, we tapped them uh, to, to take those. Uh, but so I, you know, my advice and what I learned is just watch and look and be present and try to find people and give them opportunities. I always believed in paying it forward, just like people did for me. You know, people recognize something in me that I didn't even recognize in myself. And I wanted to do the same thing throughout my career and pay it forward to all of the amazing people that worked so hard. I can really feel it in your body language and just your facial expressions of how <laughs> meaningful that part of the job is to yeah. see the specialness in someone so that yeah. they don't even see themselves. Right. And that someone recognizes it and it kind of sparks a new motivation in those individuals. So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah it's very special to see. 
What is you know, especially especially yeah. as the president and CEO. I'm sorry, but you no. know when they when they know that the president and CEO is looking, and you know it makes them feel special. You, I walk on board, and there's an extra pep in people's step. Instead of being yeah. afraid that I'm coming, people were excited that I was coming, and it was really important to me that people didn't you know weren't afraid that just because I was the president and CEO, they needed to worry about you know, what they were doing. I just wanted to take on a different persona because I never wanted to, into, I don't want to intimidate people. That isn't a very bad way to lead. Yeah. Well, I know your book, Making Waves, is definitely going to be making waves around the world. And what is one of the first things that we can do to start making waves in our careers and our lives? You know, I, you know, I, I just, I just say be persistent and dream big. And it was a lesson I learned. I didn't learn persistence. I've always been persistent. It's in my DNA. But one of the things that I didn't do early enough in my career, I don't think is dream as big as I could have. It was, it was decades into my career before I decided I wanted to be president and CEO of one of the brands and, and to our discussion earlier, and I don't even think we were, you know, we were officially on the podcast yet. um, I believe everything happens in the time that it's supposed to. So I never look back with regret. I don't. And, And I, and I'm glad it took me 30 years. I learned so much and got to do so many amazing things. But what I would tell my younger self is dream bigger earlier and sooner and think about, you know, think about where you can really go. Don't put limits on yourself. I believe that we put more limits on ourselves than others put on us. And um, and I think it's within, you know, within our control to get what we want. Now, whatever that might be, it's not president CEO for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, but, um, you know. I think we're all, it's it's within our control to get what we want. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for helping us really stretch and dream bigger. And just some of the tips and strategies and different things that you've shared are just beautiful leadership lessons of how we can use heart and courage to move forward as leaders and make a big impact in the world. Thank you, Deborah. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. What is your next chapter? Tell us what's next for you. Oh, gosh. Well, I can't tell you everything, unfortunately, (laughs) but in a few months, you know, it's, I, you know, I, the way I ended the book, I actually changed the ending of the book and everybody's going to have to read it to know, but um, what it is and what I say, but you know, the, the subtitle of the book is uh, uh, making waves, a woman's rise to the top using smarts, heart and courage. And I think if I had to pick one, that is the one that's probably the most dominant in how I look at my career and even my future, it's courage. And uh, sometimes it takes courage to walk away from something you've done for 39 years and a position and a brand you love, you know, I'm at an age, uh, you know, we talked about COVID, we talked about me losing my sister. I don't think I'm unlike many women my age or people my age that are reevaluating what they're doing and what you want the future to be and what you want to do and if there's something else for you. And that's where I am right now. But what I've learned, you know, I stepped down from my position at the end of April in 2023, and I'll be leaving the company at the end of April of 2024. What I've learned is that your body of work and the reputation you build is really important as you start writing your next chapter. Because 
I have been amazed at how many people are either finding me or learning about me and asking people about me. I was even telling my husband this the other day because a gentleman said something to me where he had made a lot of calls finding uh, out information about me. And he said, every single thing I heard was unbelievably great. And um, I told my husband that oftentimes as we go through our careers, and there are so many temptations to, you know, change how you behave or how you think or how you lead because there are different pressures around that, you know, stay true to who you are and, and maintain your integrity and your purpose and do everything the right way because it will be invaluable to you in, you know, in whatever it is you decide to do in the future because, First of all, with social media and the connections everybody makes, everybody can find out anything about you. And you always want that to only be good. Um, and so now as I'm writing my next chapter and I'm thinking about a lot of different opportunities, I've learned that everything that I've done up until now will hopefully serve me well as I chart my next course. And, you know, I, I read that. That's probably one of the last sections I read before coming uh -huh. on today was about how your body of work will, will be a testament. It's going to stand yeah. on its yeah. own. And yeah. it made me reflect, but it also made me think about all the things that maybe I personally have taken for granted. Maybe some of our viewers and listeners are taking for granted of the body of work that they have done. Okay. Um, especially when you're in a position for a long time, you don't always think about right. you're not preparing a new covering letter. You're not preparing oh, a new resume. Right. And you take for granted all of the things that you've contributed to. That's right. And people said, all right, what are you going to do next? And I really didn't know. But I said I was going to leave myself open to the universe. And um, and that's what I'm doing. And again, the universe will find you based on your body of work. But document your body of work because, you know, you should be able to present yourself in a certain way. Um, and I always wanted to leave a legacy when I did leave celebrity. And I did. I transformed the brand. I transformed the industry. I made a significant impact on gender balance in our company. I led with heart. I was a well-loved and well-respected leader. And you know what? You can't ask for more than that, Deborah. No, no, not at all, Lisa. I have, I want to honor your time as well. And I, I just have a quick question for you. I usually okay. ask people about a book. So I don't know if you've been doing a lot of reading this past <laughs> year. But one of the most important questions for me to ask you is what does it mean for you to live rich from the inside out? Um, yeah, I, soul, you know, soul and purpose is how I live rich from the inside out. And I apply it to everything that I do. And I believe it's the right thing to do. And I believe there is not enough of that in the world. And I believe that there's not enough of that in corporate America. Thank you so much. And everyone listening and watching, you're going to want to grab this book. It's not only going to be a book that you read, Making Waves, A Woman's Rise to the Top Using Smarts, Heart and Courage. It is going to be your reference guide. And I highly suggest that if there are any women in your life that you see that specialness that Lisa talks about to gift them that book. 
because I do know based on, you know, as much as I've read already, and I'm, it's going to be one of the books that I'm going to be gifting people that it is very profound lessons. And she identifies each lesson she learns along the way. And I know it's going to make a difference to the people that you give it to. I will have some context stuff in, um, in the show notes, but Lisa, how can people stay in touch with you or, you know, learn more about you? I'll visit my website, lisalutoffperlow.com or uh, email me at LLP at lisalutoffperlow.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa, on the Millionaire Woman Show. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with everyone? Thank you, Deborah. You are, um, you are an amazing woman and I wish you nothing but great success going forward. Thank you for this time today. Thank you for a wonderful interview. I truly appreciate it, my friend. Oh, I'm honored to be here with you today. Um, thank you everyone for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. As always, we bring you guests that are going to make an impact in your life so you in turn can re live rich from the inside out through principles of life, leadership, and business. I would love for you to pop over to my website for 10-page report of T Reset Your Mindset at www.debrakasowski.com. And as Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always, on behalf of Lisa and myself, go out and make today great. <laughs>